and I invite the rest of you to pray with me. Lord, settle our busy minds and open our hearts. May we hear the message that you intend for each one of us whenever it is that we hear it. And as always, I pray that my words would be your words. Amen. Many, many years ago, I returned to the full-time paid workforce after being home for 17 years. There were many adjustments that had to be made, but one that I found rather appealing was the challenge of a new wardrobe. The clothing that I had been wearing for the last 17 years was not at all appropriate for my new job. So with very limited funds in hand, off I went to the discount stores, and all went well, until I returned home, and a new challenge struck, shoes. My daily wardrobe of sneakers, flip-flops, and snow boots didn't seem to go so well with my new work clothes. So off to the stores I headed again, and I settled on some nice black pumps and a dressy pair of black flats that worked so much better. Life went along fine until summer arrived. You know, those black shoes looked awfully wintry. So back to the shoe stores I went to pick out summer pumps and summer flats. I now had a lovely work shoe wardrobe of four pair. But then I bought a pair of brown pants, and you know, they would look just smashing with brown shoes instead of black. So back to the shoe store I went for brown shoes, and so it went. As I built my work wardrobe over the seasons, I added the right pair of shoes as well. Eventually, my social life picked up, and I needed dressy shoes. And so my collection of four pair of shoes grew to, you can do the math. Eventually, I moved into a new home, and one of my joys was a closet that had two long shelves running across the top, shoe storage. Now that I was not encumbered by storage space, my shoe wardrobe seemed to grow at an even healthier rate. But I still had empty space on those generous shelves, and I shopped only at the discount stores, so all was fine, I thought. And then Scott and I got engaged to be married. And we decided that he would move into my home after we were married. That's where all the kids lived. And he came over to decide on the best use of the house upon his arrival. When we toured the upstairs, we got to the discussion of closets. Should we share a closet? Should he use a closet in another room? And during the great closet debate, I caught him repeatedly stealing glances into my closet. And finally, with a bit of puzzlement, he declared with a burst, you sure have a lot of shoes. Flustered, I turned to him and I replied, well, it's all about the shoes, you know. But in reality, the truth was now staring me straight in the eyes, and I must say, I didn't like the look of it. Exactly when had my desire to look presentable at work crossed over into that suspicious land of materialism? When was it that I had surrendered reason to a closet full of shoes? Well, along comes Jesus to show me exactly what is inside my barn and to help me remedy the situation. 
This morning we hear the parable that is often referred to as the story of the foolish rich man. Jesus has been teaching the crowd about how to live a life of God and into this teaching on the real true meaning of our lives, a listener pops a request. Teacher, tell my brother to give me my fair share. Now, it was not at all uncommon for rabbis to settle disputes of inheritance, but Jesus makes it clear that this is not his business, this is not what he has come for. And not only does Jesus refute this request, but he continues with a dire warning. Take care. Be on guard. Protect yourselves. From what? What is this disaster that he warns of? Greed. All kinds of greed. Before he tells his parable, he says, be on guard against all kinds of greed for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. He couldn't possibly mean shoes, could he? Could too many shoes really be bad for me? Something that I need such a dire warning against? Harmless little size seven shoes? What threat could they possibly pose to me? Well, our society would certainly ask us to think otherwise, wouldn't it? Buy, 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 consume every chance you get. The meaning of the good life here in America is all about the stuff, right? What kind of car do you drive? How big is your house and where is it? Do you own the latest and greatest iPhone, iPad? Have you secured the newest and largest high-def TV you possibly can? And how about those shoes? Google shoes, and you will be overwhelmed with pages and pages of online shoe stores. I don't even need to leave my house anymore. I can fill those shoe shelves right off the internet. And what we are led to believe here in America is that this is all part of the dream, the great American dream. But is that God's dream? Is this God's deepest desire for us? Not according to Jesus. After telling us our lives are not about our possessions, Jesus tells this story of the rich fool. An abundant crop proves more than the man has room to store. So what do you do? Build bigger barns. And now he is set for years to come. His life is looking rather rosy, he tells himself. Time to sit back, relax, enjoy the fruits of his sarm for many years without having to work so hard. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking this is making pretty good sense up to this point. Save your surplus, work hard, store up for retirement, open that 401k account as well as an IRA, and after lots of good planning, we're all set. Store up now for yourself, every bit you can. And I am thinking, this story is misnamed. This is the parable of the smart man. But we've not finished the story yet, have we? And in typical fashion, the end is always where Jesus throws the curveball because in the end, God declares the man a fool. A fool. Can you imagine? Now, he has not done anything dishonest. He has not come by his fortune in any dark manner. 
No, the land produced an overabundance. And when you think about it, it was God's land that did that after all, God's creation. So why does God call him a fool? Well, we need to listen carefully for what Jesus is trying to teach us here. Part of the message is exactly that. The land is God's. This man came by his abundance via God's graciousness. This overwhelming crop is a gift of God, and so it truly belongs to God. And there we find some clues about what we are to do with God's gifts, and apparently we are not to hoard God's gifts. We are not to keep them for ourselves. If you paid attention in this parable, the only person involved is the rich fool. There is no family mentioned, no friends, no church community, He speaks only to himself. He is so self-absorbed. I will store all my goods. I will say to my soul, I will eat, drink, and be merry. It is that unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. His focus is entirely upon himself. He never wonders who might be hungry, who might need a job rebuilding the barns, who might be living on the edge. No, for our foolish rich man, the bounty is all about him. So Jesus is reminding us here that all that we have, farmers or not, is a gift from God. And if we are those fortunate enough to find ourselves living in the land of plenty, in a situation of surplus that requires bigger barns or storage units out on the highway, well, that extra does not belong to us. We are given the gifts of God not to make our individual lives cushy, but to make the world a better place. We are called to be good stewards with God's gifts, to use them to bring the kingdom to the lives of everyone here and now. The struggle, of course, is how much is too much. What constitutes enough for living versus an overabundance? And in our land of overflowing blessings, it can be deceiving how much is too much. In fact, it usually looks to us like we have too little. We compare our lives to those of Hollywood stars or the Buffett's Zuckerbergs and Bezos of the world. We never seem to have as much as the guy next door. But what if the measuring stick is not how much we have, but what we do with what we have? Are we taking the blessings we have been given and using them generously to bless others? But Jesus has other warnings in this parable as well. In his story, the rich man dies that very night, all his plans for naught. Now at first glance, it seems that God demands the man's life. In our translation, it says, this very night your life is being demanded of you. But if we look at the original Greek text, we find a curiosity. The literal Greek translation is very awkward, but stick with me. This is it. In this night, the soul of thee, they demand from thee. It's awkward, but the subject is they not God. Who is Jesus talking about? Who or what are they 
that demand the soul of the rich man. Could it possibly be that Jesus is telling us stuff, things, possession, wealth, have the ability to actually demand our souls, our very selves, to get between us and God? That the pursuit of the American dream can result in the pursuit of stuff, of overflowing barns and shoe closets that actually end up controlling us and our souls, whether we realize it or not? Four pair of shoes seemed like plenty at first, more than enough, actually. But the pursuit of more shoes led to the pursuit of more shoes. What gets crowded out of our hearts and our lives when things begin to take over? What do my shoes prevent me from seeing, from doing, from being? What part of me dies when accumulating stuff for shoes takes on such a focus? If my mind and heart are filled with so many shoes, where is the room for God? The story ends with the prediction, so it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich in what matters to God. Is Jesus telling us the rich will be snatched away in the middle of the night? Well, no, obviously not. I like the wording of this sentence in the paraphrase, the message. That's what happens to you when you fill your barn with self and not with God. The rich fool was really, really full of himself, and his barn was full for himself, and hence, he lost his real life, his true life. When our barns are filled with possessions, we miss the life that God has really dreamed for us. We become enslaved to more stuff and to the activity of accumulation. Yet we remain convinced that our stuff is important and has the ability to make us happy, and nothing could be farther from the truth. I think we reject Jesus' message because it is so very difficult to hear above the noise of our culture of consumerism. So if this is not the stuff of real life, what is? What does it mean to have a life that is rich in what matters to God? Well, from this little parable, first of all, we know what matters to God is us, not our stuff. What matters to God is to use our gifts from God for the good of others, for all. A life that is rich in what matters to God values ourselves and others by who we are, not by what we own. And a life rich in God is one that knows its security rests in God, not in wealth, not in possessions. The foolish rich man's full barns had no power to protect his life when death came calling. None at all. A life that is rich in what matters to God is a life, a heart, a barn that is full of God. So you see, it really is all about the shoes just not in the way I wanted it to be. And every so often, I still have to clean out that shoe closet and give them away. Now, if you're thinking, it's okay, I don't collect shoes, there's something. Men, screwdrivers, golf clubs, 
cooks, cutting boards, dishes, whatever it is, I'm sure you have your own barn of something. Think about what Jesus really wants you to do with your heart barn. Amen. invite you to pray with me. Generous God, in abundance you give us things both spiritual and physical. Help us to hold lightly to the fading things of this earth and grasp tightly the lasting things of your kingdom, recognizing them as the source of true life. We ask you to make this church a place of generosity, where people work together, giving who they are and what they have, so that the wonderful resources of our world may be better shared. We pray today for people who wander through life constantly seeking purpose and reason, we remember those who store up wealth for themselves, believing that the road to happiness is through the accumulation of possessions. We ask you to help them find you and therefore find love and acceptance and wholeness. And this Independence Weekend, we thank you for the land in which we live, for the freedoms which are ours, 
for the multitude of opportunities presented to us in this land of abundance. Yet at the same time, we ask you to forgive us for our lack of creativity in sharing our nation's bounties equitably, for tarnishing our political process with greed, for the ways we fail the needy and the outcast. Lead us instead to fulfill the dreams of the early founders for all citizens. Raise our national vision so that all will live in the freedoms that we have here. Amen. <laughs>